0: Hey, good morning Riverwest Church family. My name's Pastor Christopher. If you haven't noticed, it is June in the state of Oregon, and I'm wearing a sweater. (laughs) But the joy of the Lord is greater than all of those things. Even atmospheric rivers cannot steal the joy that can be found in Jesus. So grateful to be here. Today, if you're a guest or joining us online, we have been walking through the book of Romans, this letter that Paul wrote to Christians in Rome. You're going to want a Bible in your hand. This morning, we have ushers coming around. If you'd like uh, the printed page, um, it's going to help you this morning as, as we actually dive deep into Romans chapter 6, which is one of truly the most profound theologically rich, well-known passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And for good reason, because it's amazing. But straight out of the gate, I got to tell you, there's no way around the fact that today's passage is difficult. Not only because it's filled with complex theological Truths and metaphors that are going to be difficult to unravel and understand. But primarily because it's also filled with truths that are just plain difficult to accept. Truths that run against the grain of our cultural presuppositions and perceptions of freedom and what life is about. And so there's passages in the Bible that are not just difficult to comprehend, they're difficult to believe and to receive. And today's passage is one of those places in Scripture. Right before COVID, I flew out to New Mexico to spend uh, the week with, with my sister and her two precious daughters, Charlotte and Sophie. Now, while I was there, the girls asked me if I would like to watch the movie Frozen. Now, truth be told, at the time my sister needed to take a mental health break away from the movie Frozen because she had seen it 3000 times and her daughters had sang a song in the movie repeatedly, and my, my sister actually felt like a, like a prisoner in her own home. There was this battery-powered karaoke microphone, and they had been singing the song, Let It Go, for over two years, and so my sister said, I can't watch it again, tag your it. And I honestly, as Uncle Chris, I was happy to tap in for two reasons. One, I had never seen the movie Frozen. Whatsoever, because I'm raising two boys, and so their Netflix choices are dramatically different. We're talking Marvel movies and Meat Eater on Netflix. Anyone feel me here? Okay, so yeah, fishing videos, like hunting videos, just, just testosterone stuff. Pray for my wife, Julie. It's like the testosterone zone in our house, like a Cabela's that went sideways. I mean, that is truly. Truly Our House. So I had never seen it. Plus, it gave me an opportunity to connect with the girls. My sister could could go away and, and watch like, like her shows. So I can vividly remember the first time that I heard Princess Elsa belt out these famous, famous words. I'll restrain myself from singing, but this is... <laughs> Wouldn't it be awesome if I asked the worship team to come back up here? But you know the song, and this is what she sang. It's time to see what I can do, to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Now, long before you and I were subjected to hearing this Disney ballad on repeat, This mindset about freedom actually began circulating among a newfound community of followers of Jesus in Rome. A belief that freedom is basically living any way you want, that you can test the limits, that there's no right, no wrong, no rules for me because I'm no longer under the law, I'm under grace. So I'm free to live any way that I want. However, as we'll see today, this notion that freedom is essentially a license to live any way we want is not something that the apostle Paul will call freedom. In fact, although this will come as a shock to many of us in Romans six, he's going to go as far as to call this slavery. You see, for Paul, there was no way for him to ever talk about overcoming sin without talking about true Christian freedom. And so we see whenever Paul addresses believers that are struggling and trying to overcome sin, he always talks about freedom. Because until we understand how and why Christ has set us free. We'll keep on repeating the same old sinful patterns over and over again on repeat. And so, while we're definitely gonna have to engage our minds together this morning, I believe deep down that the Holy Spirit wants to do a work in our hearts today so that we walk out of here freer and lighter, following Jesus with greater freedom today. Amen. 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 So with that, we're going to dive back into the second half of Romans 6, starting at verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know? That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one whom you obey. Either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free In regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you you getting at the time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And all of God's people said, Amen. This is God's word. Now, if you've been following along closely in this series or reading Paul's letter to believers in Rome on your own, you may have wondered why Paul basically asked the same rhetorical question of his readers. And verses 1 and verse 15. In fact, look back two weeks ago, Pastor Adam preached an incredible sermon and we read these words and Paul asked this question, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And he essentially in verse 15 asked the same question, wait, wait, wait a minute, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law But under grace, by no means. You see, structurally speaking, everything that Paul says in chapter 6 is a response to these rhetorical questions about Christian freedom. In fact, all of chapter 6 and a huge chunk of chapter 7 is devoted to helping Christians in Rome see that their newfound faith in Christ wasn't a license to go on sinning and living any way they want. Living as they please because they're forgiven and justified and no longer under the law, but now under God's grace. And so what Paul's going to do, if you're taking notes, is he's going to lay out for us three things in this passage. He's going to show us the paradox of Christian freedom, the process of Christian freedom, and the promise of Christian freedom that is what Paul's going to do to help these believers grow in their newfound faith in Christ as he's going to show us these three things let's start with the paradox Christian freedom requires an understanding of a paradox something that on the surface sounds absurd <laughs> self-contradictory, and opposed to our modern-day notions of freedom. Here's the proof. If you and I were to ask Siri to define the word freedom for us, she would pull from the Oxford Dictionary, and we'd read that freedom is this. The power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint, first off, which sounds a little bit like the lyrics of Let It Go. Let's, let's be honest right there. But then, actually, the Oxford Dictionary will go on and say that, it, that freedom is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved, which, come on. That sounds antithetical to what Paul is asserting in this passage, which begs the question, why in the world is the Apostle Paul using metaphors of slavery in a passage that's supposed to help Christians learn how to live out their newfound freedom in Jesus Christ? What is going on here? Well, for one thing, it's important to understand that Paul's readers would not have had the same reaction that you and I have when we read verses like verse 16, where Paul says, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one of whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death or obedience, which leads to righteousness. You see, when you and I read a passage like this and see what the Bible says about slavery, we often or almost always read it through a filter of new world slavery, which was replete with unjust, ethnically motivated, racist atrocities and crimes against black people, which is a deeply sinful and wicked part of our world's history. So it makes sense that reading a passage like this would make us uncomfortable. However, in Paul's day, the kind of slavery he's referring to was much more of an indentured servanthood that was economically motivated, not ethnically motivated. You see, in the first century, if you were facing an enormous debt that you had no hope of getting out of, And you didn't want to be saddled with this debt for the rest of your life. It wasn't uncommon for a person to actually offer themselves as slaves to to someone wealthy for a period of time in order to work off the debt that they owed. But here's the deal. Until the last penny of that debt was paid, the master had complete control over your life, which needless to say, ended up leading to a very broken, corrupt economic system. But don't get hung up on Paul's analogy, or you'll miss the spiritual principle that he's trying to impress upon us, which is this. Everyone, regardless of who you are, is a slave to something or someone. Now, I imagine some folks may bristle at what Paul is saying here and recant this idea and say, listen, pastor, when I sin, I'm only using my freedom to do what I want. I'm not a slave to anyone or anything. So I want to press a bit on what Paul means by using this metaphor of slaves of sin. You see, one of the brilliant things that Paul does in Romans is that he doesn't define sin as actually just committing a series of unethical, unrighteous, immoral things. Instead, if you remember back to chapter one, the way that Paul defines sin for us in this letter, which is important to get your definitions of terms whenever possible from the context of a letter that's written, because that's how the English language works. That's how language works in general. Paul defines sin in chapter one this way, as worshiping and serving the creature rather than the creator who's blessed forever. Amen. That's what sin is. It's actually worshiping and serving created things over God, turning even good created things into gods that we worship and serve. Now, I've had many people over the years tell me, Pastor, I'm not religious, so I'm really not into this whole worship thing. And by that, I think most people are referring to singing, to singing songs like we just did. But worship contains far more than that. It's actually what our hearts serve our allegiances in life, the things that we devote our love to are the things that for us are objects of worship. And according to the Apostle Paul, everyone at their essential core is a worshiper. Human beings by nature have an irrepressible need to worship something. So if if it isn't your creator you'll inevitably find some created thing to worship and serve, which the Bible calls idols. As Pastor Eric's patron saint, Bob Dylan puts it, (laughs) this is the second week we're quoting Bob Dylan in here, okay? You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. That's essentially the point that the Apostle Paul is trying to make in this passage. He's trying to implore Christians in Rome to realize, don't you realize, dear Christians, there are only two categories of people in the world. People who've devoted all that they are to worshiping and serving God, or people who are spiritually slaves to something else. There's no other category. You're either one or the other, because you've got to serve somebody. A while back, I was reading an article from a really gifted Christian counselor and writer, David Powelson, where he grouped the the idols, the things that we worship and serve other than God, into four basic categories. Idols of power, idols of control, idols of approval, and idols of comfort. Power, control, approval, and comfort. Idols of power. Some people simply have an insatiable appetite for power, for recognition. Whether it's through attaining wealth or advancing beyond their peers and their career, they're never satisfied until they're on top and in charge of someone or something. Idols of control. Some people want everything to go according to your plan. Can you feel me on that? It's getting really quiet in here. You're not making eye contact. None of you turn to your neighbor and ask them like, which one of these do you struggle with? Like most, no, don't, don't do that. All the people that are like into control. They're like, no, don't tell me to do that. You want everything to go with your plan. And the last two years, it has been your hell because nothing has gone to our plan. You want to know the future. You want to know what's going to happen. You're constantly like looking at your iPhone and checking the weather (laughs) because you have a plan and you want everything to fall in line with your plan. I can speak to this because I'm a sinner too. Idols of approval. Some crave to be accepted, but they can't be happy and be at peace unless, unless people are happy with them, unless people admire them or desire them, and idols of comfort. I think all of us, if we're being honest in church, at some level, we avoid pain. We seek out pleasure. Be that sexual pleasure, material things, vacations, dining out, just enjoying creature comforts. By the way, it's important to clarify that there's nothing intrinsically wrong with any of these things in and of themselves. Power, control, approval, or comfort. It's when they become central in your life. Ultimate. Something that we can't live without. Something that compels our obedience over what God wants. That's when these Good things become idols that enslave us. Friends, listen to this. You need to understand this truth. Or your life will be shipwrecked at some point. Every master besides Jesus will eventually enslave and ruin your life. Every single one. Every master we serve beside Jesus will ultimately strip and rob you of life. Here's two examples of how this might play out if you struggled with control or approval, hypothetically. If you are enslaved to control, you tend to be someone who worries obsessively. You'll lose your temper a lot. And people around you will often feel manipulated like they're just pawns in the chess game of your agenda in life. On the other hand, if you're enslaved to approval, your life will be plagued by constant comparison and envy, self-pity, feelings of inadequacy, because you'll be a slave to other people's approval. But friends, here's the mystery and the great paradox of Christian freedom. The only way that you and I will ever be free is by giving ourselves entirely to a master who shed his blood to break our shackles and set us free from our sins. This is the great paradox and mystery of the Christian faith, friends. If you want to be free... Stop trying to manage and control your life. Give your life to Jesus Christ because the son has come to set us free. And Jesus says, if the son of God set you free, then and only then, River West, will you be free. Amen? Amen. Amen. I love Tim Keller has this wonderfully simple way of putting this when he says, Jesus is the only master who, if you find him, will satisfy you. And if you fail him, he will forgive you. He's the only one. So let's assume at this point right now, you say, yes, and amen, given my life to Jesus. But how does this freedom thing actually work? Because if I'm being honest, I don't feel free indeed. How does this work? And this is what I actually love about the apostle Paul is he doesn't just offer us a lofty set of spiritual principles in this passage. He actually shows us the process that we can participate in, that we can engage in, that will lead to greater freedom in Christ. So after unraveling this paradox of Christian freedom, he shows us the process of Christian freedom. And look at verses 17 and 18 in the passage again. He says this, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. Now, this is one of those places where I really, really don't think it's helpful for us to have the ESV translation here. What in the world is Paul talking about with this pattern of teaching? It's one of of the places where I actually think it's more useful and helpful to understand the plain text reading of this, to go back to the KJV version, where instead of using the phrase, you became obedient to the standard of teaching, the KJV says that you became obedient to the form of doctrine. This is way closer to what Paul had in mind. The form of doctrine. You see, the Greek word that Paul uses here that's translated standard in the ESV and form in the King James Version is the Greek term tupos, which is a mold. It's a mold. You became obedient from the heart to the mold or form of doctrine. And you know what a mold is. A mold is what you would use. And in the first century, if you wanted to shape something, you'd pour molten metal or liquid into a mold and it comes out in the shape of that form. So this is the picture of Christian formation that Paul is painting here. The Christian doctrine that's rooted in God's word and truth is like a mold. And we, as his children, when we believe and obey, are poured like molten metal into this form. From the very moment that we put our faith in Christ and believe the gospel. From that very day, we're being shaped and molded by God's truth into new people who are becoming more and more like Jesus. It's a picture of how God sets us free and forms us through his word and doctrine. Now, last week, if you were here, we showed you this Venn diagram. Here's that picture again. And this is helpful right here because Paul's saying this is what happens when you come to faith and God wants to set you free and form you into a person now that's free in Christ. You believe the gospel, the word of God, and then your life is poured into the mold of sound Christian doctrine. I like how this pastor defines doctrine. Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse says doctrine is a definite body of teaching, a hard mold of truth into which the Christian is to be melted and poured Until he or she takes on a shape, which is the Lord Jesus Christ living in them, controlling them. That's why we're a church that's committed to doctrine. Because because our world has many molds too. For our lives. Do you know that? That Jesus is not the only one that wants to pour us into a mold. And so if you want to be free... That's why we ultimately cannot experience any form of freedom apart from God's word. It's any other freedom that is promised is false freedom. It's bogus freedom. It's Elsa, let it go freedom. It's actually slavery. It's actually slavery. Jesus himself told his disciples that believed in him, if you abide in my word, then you're truly my disciples. If you abide in this, that's what makes you my disciples and you'll know the truth. You'll progressively grow in your understanding of the truth and the truth will set you free. As you read the scriptures, here's three things that will happen That should happen in our hearts as the Holy Spirit has his way with us. Working freedom. First, according to Paul, your heart will overflow with gratitude and joy. Did you notice in verse 17, he starts and he says, Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. You become obedient from the heart. Thanks be to God. Praise God. Friends, the more that we understand the gospel, our hearts should just overflow with praise and gratitude to the Lord because he loved us and liberated us when we were enslaved in sin. So the more we grow in our understanding of Christian doctrine and the gospel, our lives should overflow with praise. Amen? Amen. This thanks be to God moment should, should become a regular, a regular overflow in our life. Second, you'll find a new desire to resist temptation and to obey God's word, to live differently with different practices, new practices, not simply out of, of a feeling of obligation. But from what the Apostle Paul calls, and I love this, an obedience from the heart. Did you notice that in verse 17? He says, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. You've become obedient from the heart to the standard or the form of doctrine. You see, as, as Christ works in our life, obeying him. Serving him, living differently, resisting sin. It's no longer just a duty. It becomes a delight in our life because our hearts have been made new. We don't have the same enslaved hearts. We've been made new. We're no longer slaves to sin. That's not our truest identity. You're unified with Christ. The old you has been liberated, set free. The old you is dead and buried. The new you is alive, and you feed that heart, God's word and truth, and you'll find that you actually want to obey. You don't want to go back to the old molds that were home to you because they no longer fit. They no longer fit. You'll begin to look at yourself and your body, and your neighbors, and your job, and your money. And even your political ideologies through new eyes, through eyes of freedom. And over time, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you'll slowly become molded into someone that resembles Jesus in the way that you live and love. Which is a miraculous work that we do not do on our own. That's called sanctification in the New Testament. Sanctification. You probably saw that word in this passage. Twice the Apostle Paul tells us that if Jesus is our master and we obey him from the heart, that this will inevitably lead to sanctification. We see this in verse 19. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you presented your members as slaves to this old mold of impurity and lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness. This new way of living, honoring Jesus, leading to sanctification We also see this word show up in verse 22 where Paul says, but now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, you have a new master. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now the process of sanctification becoming increasingly more and more like Christ is not instantaneous or easy. Easy just like fruit doesn't appear on trees overnight. It's a process. It's best measured, not in days, but in years or even decades. There's no quick fixes or shortcuts when it comes to Christian sanctification. Maybe this is why Paul exhorts us over and over again, as the readers of this letter, to present ourselves to God on a daily basis. Did you see that language? Present yourself. Don't present yourself and your members as slaves of sin. Present yourselves to God. He repeats this exhortation several times in this passage, because isn't it true that much like physical exercise, half the battle of the Christian life is just showing up. It's actually just being present. So last week, after what some may say is a very long intermission in my exercise journey, (laughs) thanks COVID, I signed up for a new gym membership called Orange Theory Fitness. There's some laughter already. I basically figured that I had tested out my own fitness theory thoroughly enough to know that it is not working. (laughs) So I need a new theory and an orange one will do just fine. That's fine. I don't care what color it is. It could be lemoncello yellow fitness, and I'm at a point where it's like, I don't care. I'm going to be there. I kid you not. As I was working on the message this week, I was literally eating Juanita's chips and salsa. Anyone feel me there? Juanita's. Juanita's. That's, that's my problem, like right there. And I read this verse, like, right here. I, I'm not joking. The Lord knows that this is true. Verse 21, I read this. But what fruit were you getting at the time of the things which you are now ashamed? <laughs> for the end of those things is death. I read that. I was like, it's probably true if I keep this up. So I signed up for a free month, okay? And an orange theory. So there I was this week. Surrounded, in truth, by mostly women who were my mom's age, who were absolutely crushing it. (laughs) They've been doing the Orange Theory well for a long time. And then there was me, wheezing, feeling nauseous, and looking like I'm literally going to keel over and die. While the instructor is cranking music from Def Leppard. And trying to hype me up to get out of concern with phrases like, I know you've got more in you. And okay, let's take this to the red zone. (laughs) Needless to say, I felt like I was in the orange level of hell. (laughs) But deep down, (laughs) here's what I know. If I keep showing up regularly, Presenting the members of my body to this new exercise routine, even if the next dozen workouts feel like slavery and death, at some point, I'll actually begin to feel way freer, way better, more alive. Listen, friends, don't buy into the lie that you can't learn to pray. Don't buy into the lie that you can't learn to study scripture or that you can't replace sinful patterns in your life with new ones. One, you're not on your own. The Holy Spirit, the person of God, lives inside of you if you've committed yourself to Jesus Christ. But you need to know this. Wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, working towards freedom, with the Holy Spirit's help, you can do this. You can do this. What would it look like for you to wake up every day and literally, not metaphorically, present yourself to God? Show up. Present yourself to God and open his words for 15 or 30 minutes. Then to end your day by presenting yourself again to God. And by praying and processing your day with him, the good, the bad, the ugly. Failures and moments where you receive gifts of grace. To help you do that, many of us on, on staff, we've been using an, an app um, called Lectio 365. It's a wonderful, wonderful app that's, that's rooted will help you pray through the Psalms and work through the scriptures. But I'll tell you the thing that I have been loving over the last two years that my wife and I have been using this app is, is it has these night prayers. There's even like this incredible kind of music in in the background. Um, Some good friends of mine that work with 24/7 prayer put this together And the night prayers, my sleep has been so impacted by ending my day and trusting to God my day. And just just listening to these night prayers has been such an incredible gift. And it's it's molding my wife and I into people that are less anxious. We're just not holding on to the same things that, that we are. Perhaps this resource would help you. But here's what you need to know. Wherever you're at, our our pastoral staff, myself, Pastor Marianne, Pastor Mike, Pastor Eric, we're here for you. We want to support you because we want you to experience greater freedom in Jesus. You are not on your own Which finally brings us to the promise of Christian freedom. In verse 23, perhaps you've read read these words or you have them memorized. I want you to hear these words as a promise from Jesus Christ for your life today. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our master. Although many of us, I imagine, are very familiar with this verse. Have you ever stopped to consider that this is not just a statement about the afterlife? In fact, this is not primarily a statement about the afterlife. It's actually a promise that applies to our lives right here, right now. In 2022, today, this day. You see... Verse 23, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Paul does something very unique when he uses the word wages here. It's a very specific, specific Greek term that referred to a daily wage that would be given to a day laborer or to a soldier. Daily wages. It's different from another word that Paul could have used, used which would have been an end, a wage at the end of a project or a period of time when a tour of duty had been completed. That's that's not what Paul's referring to here. He's talking about daily wages that are dished out every single day. The Bible's telling us right here that when we sin, at the end of every day, we get a wage. And that wage is death. We often apply it this verse evangelistically. We say the wages of sin is death. And if you're enslaved in sin, you'll go to hell. But sin is paying out wages every day. And some of us are living in a form of hell. Disconnected from God's freedom and from his purposes. Because we've gone back to things. We're caught in things that have enslaved us. Again, every master besides Jesus is going to ultimately ruin our life and say to us incessantly, unless you work harder, unless you give me more of yourself, I want more. I'll ruin you. I'll make your life miserable. It'll drive us deeper and deeper into debt and despair. But Jesus Christ says, I'm not here to give you a wage that you earn. I'm here to give you a gift that I paid for. I paid the wages of death with my death on the cross, with my suffering. And so here's what I'm offering to you now. My life, my freedom, it'll be yours if you trust me. If you trust me, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up here this morning. Believe in this moment, the Holy Spirit wants to apply that freedom to many hearts here today that the free gift is eternal life. When Paul talks about this life, it's a life that spills over into eternity. But here's what you need to know when he promises this life, he uses the Greek word zoe. And that word, what it means is it's the life that uniquely belongs to God. It's the God life. A life that only God can give. And a life that River West, if you get a taste of this, why in the world would you want to live? Go back to the old molds, those old things that enslave you. The more you taste this life, the more it will set you free. And if the sun sets you free, friends, you'll be free indeed. You'll be free indeed. That promise is for you here today. Perhaps you've never given your life over to Jesus Christ. Maybe you have showed up to church. Maybe you've heard sermons. But the way that Paul talks about Jesus being your master, if you're taking an honest inventory of your heart, Christ is not your master. He's not your Lord. Maybe today, this is your day of freedom. I'm going to ask with with every head bowed and our hearts bowed before our, our, our Lord that wants to do a work of freedom. Let's pray right now. If you're here and hearing this gospel in your heart, you're longing to be free, you can pray and say, Lord, I, I believe. And I see my eyes are opened, and I'm not free. Believe you trust you, I need your help. Set me free. Be my Lord. Be my master. Rule my life for your glory.